This is Katie and Kate Carbondale, Community Access Radio, Glenwood Springs, Carbondale, the Roaring Fork Valley, and beyond. You're listening to GeekSpeak. Support for GeekSpeak comes from... Your support for Geek... Uh, hello. KDK comes from Louis the Computer Guy, providing PC and Mac repair, networking support, tutoring, and web design. Secure, informed, and connected, Louis will pick up and deliver your hardware. More information at 948-7992. I'm your host, Matt McBear from Roaring Fork Help Desk. I thought I was going to have to do that, but I just recently found out I can't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I have to remain. I have to remain the silent, yes. silent factor. It's nice to not have to sanitize and uh huh, resanitize and. You don't have like a little uh, box in your car that like does UVC. You no, know? just a squeeze bottle of the remaining. <laughs> right, I, th- I think I still have about half a gallon of uh, hand sanitizer. Yeah, but yeah. that's right. I'll still use it this winter because I, yeah, I always uh, sanitize my hands yeah. in and out of, when I'm in, going into the client's house and when yeah. I'm coming out of the client's. I gotta house. admit, to- the the smell of it gives me nostalgia. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what the nostalgia is? I think about those paycheck protection plan pro uh, payments. <laughs> like, oh, those were the days. It's uh, I. I don't want to say I didn't have to work, but I, I really couldn't work much, you know, because there wasn't much working going on. And uh, <laughs> so nothing to do but sit around and buy stuff we don't need at home. Yes. So. Like seat warmers. Yeah. So uh, Matt and I were talking about it for the show, I guess, uh, you know, the, the whole reoccurring monthly revenue, otherwise known as RMR in our business, uh, basically refers to, you know, when you get into those subscriptions that drain out of your bank account every month, uh, you know, like Netflix or Apple TV Plus or um, gosh, I mean, just about anything anymore, right? Say cloud storage, server space. Mm-hmm. I mean, all, all of it. I mean, yeah. there's a, a huge part, part of that is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, monthly. Yeah, exactly. You know, backup services and yeah. Netflix and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Everything. So, so now, you, now it's been put out there that uh, if you own a certain type of automobile, um, that you basically start incurring uh, a reoccurring monthly payment to keep your bum warm. Mm-hmm. And um, so, tell us about that, Matt. Well, so it looks like it's been uh, uh, delivered to British uh, customers first. Uh, so ten, uh, let's see here, ten pounds or about twelve dollars. Although I think the exchange rate's a little better now in yeah. our favor. Okay, uh, getting closer to even. It's it's very close to even from what I've read. Okay. Um, so I guess we just have to. Is it you know is it worth that val? Is that monetary value worth it to have your seat warm when you get into your car in the morning? Mm-hmm. Oh, so it even warms it up before you get in the car. Well, I'm assuming you have an. I'm assuming you have an app, and you can turn. Oh, your... there you go. Yeah, it is a BMW after all. Yes. So, yeah, got it. So I mean, I, th- I mean, so you I, can start you... your car from your app, probably. Yeah. I mean, and, our I, yeah. and I think our our Toyota has a service for that where you can load the mm-hmm. app and pay a a fee to have that going. Yeah. Exactly. I'll have to look, but huh. interesting. So, but that's just an interesting one. So it's like, well, is it? I was I was thinking about the economics of it. It's like, is it cheaper and more efficient for a car manufacturer to say all of the seats have, uh, in fact, have a, uh, a, a you know a seat heating 
device mm-hmm. in it than to say this pile of seats has no seat heater, you know, no heaters in this mm-hmm. one that does. Is that is it such a um, logistical problem that the cost of putting the additional equipment in the car is cheaper than to deal with the logistics of having multiple SKUs? Yeah. Huh. Or, you know, what's the, I, I would love to see how the economic math works out on that. So it's like, yeah. we, so we know that, you know, you know, whatever percentage of our vehicles are sent to cold locations, so they will, you know, they want to use it. And then I'm sitting here going, well, well, it's a pretty simple thing. You just need to put power to it probably. So mm-hmm. how hard is it to just to set up a big switch and bypass it? So you have a little switch on your seat to, to, so you can turn it on and off. Yeah. You know, I always wondered why, well, at least none of the cars I've ever owned had heated seats in the back, you know? And right. I, and it's like, you know, it's like you've already remediated them, the, the second class status, by putting them in the back seat. But, and then you're like, no, and I, I can't heat it either. Yeah. So you got to sit back there and you can't have a heated seat. So I think some of the fancier cars have that, but I've. Mm-hmm. I'm more interested in a cooled seat. That'd be yeah a bigger selling point for yeah, me. Yeah, right now that's really at the top of our radar, isn't it? You yeah, know, it's yeah uh, when it's a hun- when it's 95 degrees or whatever. Yeah, it is at the moment out there. Yeah, my uh, the AC at my house has uh, decided that it's time for a visit from the HVAC guy, and uh, because it, 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 it all it's always kind of funny because at a certain time of the day it's about around 4:35 o'clock. It's just like all of a sudden the temperature in the thermostat shoots up to 85, and then the poor thing like spends the rest of its life that day trying to recover the house. And mm-hmm. it, the house doesn't recover until it, the temperature outside gets down below or down around where we want it, and we just open the house up and shut it off, you know. <laughs> so anyway, you know, I shouldn't be trashing the environment in any way. So, but, uh, well, heat pumps are surprisingly efficient. Yep. Uh, if you want to call us with a uh, tech question or a comment or a gripe or a complaint, uh, 970-963-2976. You're listening to Geek Speak on KDNK. And um, so let's see what else is buzzing out there. It's, um, it's kind of either down the rabbit hole or kind of fluff this today. Do you have an M1 Mac? Yes, I do. Do you? And you, you got a Mini, right? Yep. Yeah? And are you pretty happy with it? Has it been a... Uh, you know, as long as I use it for what it was intended to be used for, mm-hmm. uh, it's a fine little machine. Um, mm-hmm. So I, the only problem is I got it from a a, a big box big box store, yeah. and uh, they only had the eight gig. Ah, so you're stuck at eight gigs. I'm stuck at eight gigs, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking what I'm going to do is pick up a different machine, and that's uh, that that's the M1 architecture. Actually, I get, maybe I'm mm-hmm. two, no, M2 M1, uh, and relegate that one to a media machine uh, mm-hmm. in front of one of the you know TVs in the house. Yeah. So how much software compatibility? So for listeners who don't know what we're talking about, uh, Apple came out with a new chip. Um, was it right around the beginning of the year? Or was it a little bit before that? Well, that was the, yeah. they just came out with the M2. The M1's been around since 2020. Wow. Where it's already have, been. The, where just, have I been? Yeah. I, like, I, think I was yeah. too busy battling a virus, you know? I mean, and I don't mean a computer virus. <laughs> Although we but, still do yeah. those on yeah, fairly definitely. common. Um, so the, uh, the, the new M1 chip, uh, previously Apple was using the same chip technology as PCs, uh, which it always hasn't been. It hasn't always been like that. Yeah. 
but um, they have been have been using the the PC platforms largely because there's such a great supply of those chips and they're relatively affordable. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. So the M1 was released November 10th, 2020. Okay, got it. So and um, all the software that I use, um, I think it's all native. It doesn't use Rosetta 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. And Rosetta 2, for those who are listening, is a, a API inter, interposing piece of software right. that it's takes a, and translates it's a, Intel code over to Apple M1 code, basically, right? Yeah, it's a layer between that's in the operating system that mm-hmm. says the you know the program says, "Hey, I was written for for Intel x86," mm-hmm. um, and then that. Uh, layer interjects and says, "Okay, well, yeah. and you know, it, tra- it translates the uh, the the, the commands, the, the command, command. Yeah, yeah, and then executes exactly. the yeah. So it figures out the how instructions. To do it. That's yeah. what they call it. Yes, yeah. yeah. So converts the instructions to the M1 architecture, mm-hmm. which is ARM, which is the same as everyone's phone, basically yeah. at this point, and yeah. goes and then runs the mm-hmm. runs it, executes it. the code. Um, you know, I have noticed very little, and by the time I got it, um, I, I think." I'm, try- I'm not even sure that I have any programs that aren't that are you know not native at this point for mm-hmm. ARM. Yeah, they've all been recompiled. I think it went pretty smoothly. Okay, got it. So you know, I, I have to say that I I am quite shocked at how little incompat- software incompatibility there has been. I I was braced for the absolute worst. And because yeah, um, Ros- really has not been um, yeah, the original Rosetta, yeah. which when they switched from PowerPC to Intel uh, really it worked, but there was a lot of hiccups. Uh-huh. And this one, I can't really say that there that there are any that I am aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got it. So I wonder if that has to do with the, all the containerization technologies that have uh, been developed over the last mm-hmm. uh, well, let's see when Docker come out to the like you know early twenty tens. Yeah, uh, so that so this these tools that have been around for you know. Uh, isolating these small little programs that you want to run. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I wonder if that technology played a large part in mm-hmm. making this transition so smooth. Yeah. Well, it seems smart that you know if you can if you can place an app and it's you know, this is going to get really geeky. So those of you who are like driving, don't drive off the road. Um, but you know that if you can take and you can isolate a program so it's not like using the general memory pool. Um, you know, that you don't have yeah. to worry about instructions. To, I was going to say, we used to kind of call this a, before uh, containerization, we call this a jail kit. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, the container's a little bit more than that. There's some virtualization things that are happening, but, yeah. uh, you know, those two, it's, it's, it's isolated. It has everything that it needs to run. Mm-hmm. You know, it has all the libraries. It has everything that it, everything that it needs to do what it needs to do, mm-hmm. it has in a little container. Yeah. Which is really, you know, an extension of the whole Apple philosophy. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but um, when you install a program on a PC, um, the, and the reason, you know, because a lot of people ask me, you know, when I, I migrate them from one PC to another, they ask me, um, can you move all my programs over? And uh, the answer to that is emphatically no. And the reason being that uh, when you first when you install a program on a PC, the installer um, places a number of support files in different folders and places in the Windows folder, usually uh, Windows System 32 folder and um, gathering up and 
migrating all of those support files and then re-registering them. So you know, basically every piece of software that runs on a computer has to sign the guest book when it first shows up. You know, that's what, what we call the, the system registry. The the piece of software has to say, you know, this is what I'm called. This is what my icon looks like. This is where I'm located. These are all the support files that I need. This is where all the support files are located. Um, here's you know, just, here's some settings. Here's how to talk to me for Windows. And uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a whole it, bunch it, of things that it happen. goes on and on and on. The number of, of entries in the guest book is shocking, mind numbing. <laughs> a lot of time for certain programs, but on an Apple, um, a program that you install on Apple, you know, there's a reason why. Uh, installing a program on an Apple is as simple as dragging and dropping the program into the applications folder. You know, it seems really simple. It, it's because it doesn't take and place things anywhere else. Well, it puts so, it, um, it'll put some stuff one other place in the user's yes. library folder. Yep. I think we got a call. We got a call. Yeah. You're on with the geeks. Oh, Whoa, that doesn't sound good. Let me call back. Okay. okay. So. That was a strange sound. That was an, yeah, that was interesting you interference. Think it was an alien intervention? Probably. Yeah. I've, I've so, been soliciting them for one yeah. of those. Yeah, so, so there's a, a you know a set of files that are saved in your user folder, and mm-hmm. it's only for that user. Yeah. All right. Here we go. You're on with the geeks. Oh. Are you guys hearing that beep? Yes, we are. Yes, guys, we are. It sounds like a very fast metronome. Huh. Is there... Uh, yeah, that's weird. What's that button that they make us push when things aren't working right? Remember it? The lights are right. From a different phone. Is your utility supposed to be on on the phone? I can't remember. I don't know. I can't remember. Huh. Okay. Well, hopefully one of the big brains in the office that's listening to the show right now can come in and help us with that and tell us why it's doing that. Mm-hmm. What's up, right. Donna? I'll try again. Okay. Yeah, it is. Huh. All right. Interesting. Well, do you want to try to talk anyway? Oh, huh. that was weird. That's an uh, odd interference. It's not like uh-huh. the normal interference either. It's like every time she talks, it beeps. Yeah, Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. That's. Uh, I wonder if her phone's been tapped. I wonder what she's been up to. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, she says she tried from two different phones. Um, Something's going on on the okay. side. Then I'll say, well, next time. Um. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, the um, software has been, um, software conflicts and problems have just been, and so actually going back to when a program shows up on a Mac, it doesn't get to place things in the system folder, and which is why um, viruses on Macs are so rare. And because viruses, basically a virus on a PC, usually will lodge itself somewhere deep inside the system folder and then make a registry entry that says whenever you start the computer up launch me right and and then and there's even places the before the, the registry that begins. can do that too yeah exactly yeah so um yeah a, a number of different entry points as we say in the business so um but on a mac uh they are not allowed access to the system folder and um, they pretty much have to. You got to show up with everything that you need for the picnic. You know, you got to have the hot dogs, the ketchup, right. the mustard, the relish, the onions. Say, you got to have it all. You yeah. can't go and rely on putting when, it in the system yeah. folder. You know, so yeah. And you know what? What is going to be at the picnic for you? Mm-hmm. And that you know the the hot dogs and the burgers are already going to be there. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. 
Anyway, um, let's see here. What else is going on in the world? Uh, Microsoft has launched a drone training simulator. I wonder what, uh, do you, what do you get to blow up with that? I don't know. See where my mind goes. Exactly. Like, What's the game? It's supposed I to be obviously, fun. I obviously have bad associations with drones. I mean, it's like... So, I guess I guess you can do good things with drones, but it's... Uh, uh, let's see. Bill Gates has given away a big chunk of his wealth. Uh, he's going to basically move an additional $20 billion into his philanthropic foundation. So... Not that I don't think he can make it back, you know. So, it's, uh, yeah. Um, so, you know, I wanted to talk about uh, how much uh, a lot of our listeners uh, who are using the Gmail system may have um, had some changes in their lives. And uh, how much uh, cleanup. So, as of May 30th, was it? Um, I think they, they, they switched I, over to what's called two-factor authentication. And um, basically, what that means is uh, in Gmail's. Are they for, are they forcing second factor authentication now? Um, you know what? They may not be, but you cannot enable apt passwords oh, unless TFA is turned on. Interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. The uh, uh, apt password option is not even, uh, and we'll, we'll backtrack and tell people what this what the heck this all means in just a second. But. Um, so in, in Google's, in Gmail's opinion or world, there's only one, uh, what do you call it, secure way to access Gmail. And that's through a web browser and in parentheses, preferably the Chrome web browser by Google. And um, so whenever you're using a, an app, like uh, if you're sending email out of uh, QuickBooks, so say you're sending invoices or you know whatever out of QuickBooks or or um, uh, stuff like that. Can, can it, you? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just haven't done. I haven't touched this in a long time. But um, so like I know like Firefox and I uh, I'm pretty sure Firefox and uh, Outlook for example, and I think Windows Mail and then maybe Mac Mail as mm-hmm. well. Um, basically, you'll log into the account and it'll say you know you need to log in. And, and it'll take he, you to a web page. And it'll say, what permissions are you granting this program? Uh-huh. And it's not really using traditional IMAP or POP connectivity where yeah. the app password, like you're talking yeah. about, would. Well, you know, and I, this is kind of a little bit of a rabbit hole, but uh, um, they've pretty much conceded that uh, the, the Gmail connection is a hybrid IMAP connection. And uh, because you can alternately configure a Gmail configure. Uh, account using imap if you need to mm-hmm. but, but you have um, to turn it on and create an app password yes exactly but um yeah it'll first hit you up for the uh um for it'll bring up a little login page a little mini web browser page mm-hmm. uh, and you you said firefox but you meant thunderbird i think yep thunderbird yeah. yes you're correct and, uh, yeah so it'll throw up a little app login page and you go ahead and log in and um, but on down the road, it will stop working. <laughs> the <laughs> Thunderbird, Microsoft Outlook. I mean, what other mail programs are players out there? Oh, Microsoft Mail. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, it will mail. eventually stop working. And in order to fix it, you have to go, um, you know, be like logged into your Gmail account, and you have to open up a tab and go to accounts.google.com. You click on security off to the left, and then you have to enable two-factor authentication. 
And uh, and if anybody wants to call in on the next show, and we'll walk you through this, in, you know, in real time, <laughs> live on the, on the air, uh, we'd be happy to do that because I'm sure plenty of eyes are glazing over out there. Um, but anyway, you have to go in and you basically tell it that you want it to generate a um, an, what's called an app password, and it'll give you a 16 uh, alphabetical 16 character alphabetical string that you have to go into your mail program and replace the existing password with that 16 character alphabetical string, um, in order to get your mail working again. So, um, so if this has happened to you, it's not just you, it's you and multiple millions of other people in the world and multiple millions of my customers. (laughs) It's really interesting hearing you say, I haven't, I haven't been to this for a while because it's like pretty much been all I've been doing for the last 45 days. I was going to say, Oh, well, I think all of my Gmail clients are on uh, Google workspace. Okay. And it's a, uh, probably a a third still cling on Mm -hmm. to, uh, Outlook, and then the other two thirds mm-hmm. uh, just use the web interface. Yeah. At this point. I try my darndest to get people to use the web interface um, for for Gmail because it really truly is designed. I mean, the the whole it works well. The whole system is designed to be accessed that way, and that's one thing I can't argue with with Gmail about. I mean, it just flat out is. It's it's the native environment for yep. it. And, well, uh, and the other side is you have Google Search for your mail. In that case, yeah, where you're not because if you do that with uh, Outlook, you're using Outlook Outlook's search function and yeah. whatever it, it whatever it finds. Microsoft's ability to parse a Microsoft database that has all your Gmail in it, right? You know? Where and, on the other uh, hand, so. you know, there's so there's other uh, what is histronomies that happen uh, with G, when you search G, in your Gmail with G, with Google. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, there there have just been um, multiple instances of problems with the uh, search feature in Outlook. You know. Yeah. It's I, it's, I don't use I, it. Like literally have tens, if not hundreds, of hours. Um, so. So yeah. So you just go to the web interface, look for what you're looking for, and then it's it's there. Got so. it. So uh, Donna did make a little bit of a contribution via um, text message. She said that uh, she wanted to tell us all that uh, Ball Aerospace. Designed the web telescope mirror system, the MIRI mid infrared imager, and the motors for each of the 18 mirrors. Um, let's see. I'm not sure exactly what she's. She wants to confirm there's some sort of an MIRI. Um, yeah. Well, the web space telescope has okay. been in the uh, been there a lot. Uh, been in the news yeah. a lot. It's been. It's yeah. absolutely stunning what uh, how sensitive those instruments are uh, with that huge uh-huh. mirror array and how accurately it had to be moved to to work properly and everything. That's just a. I'm guessing uh, that what Donna Dalton is saying that uh, she created the mirror, and, <laughs> and since she's not here to refute that, I'll just let her. Your her, phone is going to pull up. I'll here. let her coworkers give her a really bad time for that. And, but, but, so she sent me a little text clipping. Um, Ball Aerospace worked with NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center and Northrop Grumman, the prime industry contractor, to innovate the 25-square-meter, and that's around 269-square-feet, system consisting of 18 beryllium mirror segments working together as one unit. Ball also developed the cryogenic actuators and electronic flight control boxes used to keep the mirror segments properly aligned on orbit, which is pretty I mean, yeah, you're talking about... You know, hundred hundreds of thousands or millionths of an inch, mm-hmm. you know, alignment 
uh, criteria is. Yeah, one millionth of an inch wrong, and next thing you know, you're on the the planet Zoltar. Right, exactly. And, uh, well, hey, y'all just wasted another perfectly good 25 minutes of your lives listening to Geek Speak. Yeah. So. Uh, Here, let's do the math. Wait, wait, wait. I can guess. No, it's going to be next month, isn't it? Yes, it's going to be next month. Okay. We will be here the first Monday of next month of which August. Is, which is the first of the August. The first. Oh, how appropriate. Yes. So Very good. First right. Monday on the first of August. Okay, take us on out, Matt. You've been listening to Geek Speak on KDNK. I'm your host, Matt McGriff from Roaring Fork Help Desk in studio with Louie the Computer Guy. Thanks a lot, Matt. You're welcome. Yeah. Have a great mountain fair, everybody.